stress is prevalent. And as far as hormones go, you know, when you're super stressed, your cortisol levels go up, your DHEA can go up, and then that can raise your blood sugar. And we're supposed to have stress, super important, because that helps us run away from things. It helps us get energized. To, but it, we don't have to run away from things our entire life. And unfortunately, when our ancestors had stress, it was usually physical. They weren't eating. They were running. They were hunting, whatever. Now our stress is money, relationships, body image. There's so many things and it's all the time. So it's really prevalent. Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either or that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Welcome to another interview episode of Nutrition Without Compromise. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi. Continuing our coverage for Stress Awareness Month today, we're going to dig into how stress relates to your hormones, your hormone balance, and even how you can address the unpredictable and even predictable stresses and changes that you confront in your daily lives so that you can live your best life. As we cover this issue, I am thrilled to be joined again today by Dr. Sean Tassone. He's known as America's holistic gynecologist, and he's the first physician in the United States to be double board certified in obstetrics and gynecology and by the American Board of Integrative Medicine. He holds a medical degree in addition to a PhD in mind-body medicine and is a practicing OBGYN in the Austin, Texas area. He even hosts a podcast that you'll want to add to your queue if you haven't already. It's called Confessions of a Male Gynecologist with two episodes out each week. He's been featured in many press outlets and his most recent book, The Hormone Balance Bible, provides tools to change the lives of women for the better, no matter their age or their stage. So without further ado, here's Dr. Sean Tassone. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's so lovely to again have this chance to connect with you. I know you and I connected a bit offline about the connection between stress and cortisol levels. And I think this is something we just don't talk enough about. So I'd love for you to share a bit of knowledge as we get started about what stress is and how it can impact our hormones. Well, I mean, we've known for decades that stress causes issues like blood pressure problems and you know the whole concept of psychosomatic medicine, which came out in the 50s, really kind of brought that to the forefront of thought was that if you're super stressed, you know, you can have health, delir- deleterious health effects. We didn't really know that it was probably because we weren't sleeping well and we had cortisol levels and sugar and diet and all those things that can cause it. But we did know things like women who are in stressful situations lose their periods. We knew that people that were in stressful situations had more headaches and had blood pressure problems. And so it's been there for a long time. It's just we haven't really gotten down into the whys for a long time. And just recently, I think it's becoming more of the forefront. I know we started with meditation and all those things. The meditation aspect has been around. But again, I think meditation personally is stressful. So it's like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it long enough? And I'm sitting there in my closet and I can only meditate for two minutes. And then you have all that monkey mind stuff. And so, yeah, stress is prevalent. And as far as hormones go, you know, when you're super stressed, your cortisol levels go up, your DHEA can go up, and then that can raise your blood sugar. And we're supposed to have stress, super important, because that helps us 
run away from things. It helps us get energized. To, but it, we don't have to run away from things our entire life. And unfortunately, when our ancestors had stress, it was usually physical. They weren't eating. They were running. They were hunting, whatever. Now our stress is money, relationships, body image. There's so many things and it's all the time. So it's really prevalent. Well, and I think that what we're talking about, too, is the ongoing assault on our systems, where if we're continually experiencing these stressors, then the challenges to our entire hormone system are going to be more consistent, right? Like they're just going to keep that battering ram hammering into you, then there's going to be a breaking point and you're going to start to see some issues erupt in your health. I think this is, of course, something people are more likely to experience as they get a little older, you enter your 40s or 50s. There's been some interesting studies just that are survey-based of thousands of individuals in the United States and in the UK before and after the pandemic. And so often, one of the drivers of stress relates to health, the health of yourself or health of a loved one. And then those stressors increase when you're 55 plus. And of course they do, right? So what are the keys that you think we should be looking at? And then also I'd like for us to connect this whole topic to adrenal fatigue, because I know that was getting a lot of press for some time. And whether you think it's more of an adrenal issue or a cortisol issue, where do we fall on the spectrum? Well, first, I think the stress thing with the main thing I think that stress does to the body is it keeps us from sleeping. And when you don't sleep, I think if there was one thing in your life that you should focus on, it would be that. And I'm not being a hypocrite, but I don't sleep. And I've been struggling with that myself for a while. And it's funny because I was joking with a friend this morning online. I was texting and I said, you know what? What I found in my expertise was that if I just turned off the TV and made the room really dark, I sleep a lot better. And she's like, duh. So we all come to this at different, at different levels. Yeah, I'm really smart about this and the other thing. But when it's your own life, it's different. And I've got friends that I talk to and they'll, they've got their aura ring and it says, oh, they slept eight hours last night. I'm like, my God, I, what, that would be amazing. But it's super important and it helps with so many things from blood pressure to glucose levels to weight. And then you throw in things like snoring and I sleep better when I have someone with me. When I'm in a relationship, I just sleep better than if I'm alone and I don't stress as much. And then you add in, so I have three pillars that I look at with stress and there's obviously more health wealth and relationships. And your health is super important because if you're pushing yourself to it, I have a few patients that are competitive bodybuilders, competitive athletes. That's a stress. Now you might think it's a good stress, but it can push you past your limits. And that's when it becomes, when you start having high amounts of cortisol, cortisol's main job is to elevate blood sugars and to be a catabolic hormone, meaning it gives you nutrients so that you can keep running, so you can keep doing things. What that basically means is that you start eating yourself. You muscle mass, you start eating, your body needs more nutrients, so it just starts consuming itself in a way. So that's not good. If you're not sleeping well, and wealth in the sense of, could be different types of wealth, but monetarily, I think that's probably a number one stressor in our country right now is just your dollar signs, and people get hung up on, and I am guilty of this too. And then relationships. I think we know that when people are in a solid relationship, they live longer. That's been known for a long time. And when couples who have been together for long periods of time, when one of them dies, the other one tends to become ill or passes away fairly short after if they've been together for a long time. And that's 
stress. That's a stressor. As far as the adrenal fatigue, I remember adrenal fatigue being a topic. I did the Integrated Medicine Fellowship at the University of Arizona back in 2005. And I remember there was a book that came out then that was called Adrenal Fatigue. And I remember it because it was written by a guy that was living in Tucson, which is where I was at the time. And I remember the backlash, the negativity that came out because of that. The problem that I have with a lot of what is happening in functional medicine is that they have to name things. And so adrenal fatigue, estrogen dominance, you know, whatever the topic of the day is. And what medicine then does is they'll turn around and they'll say it's not a thing, doesn't exist. There is no such thing as estrogen dominance. There is no such thing as adrenal fatigue. And they're true. Medically, that's not a thing. What I tend to look at with the adrenal glands is what I would consider there's abnormal functions. So there's high cortisol, which would be Cushing's disease, and there's low cortisol, which is Addison's disease. Both of those are life-threatening illnesses. But does that mean that if it's low normal, that you don't have insufficiency of sorts where you're fatigued, you're gaining weight, feel miserable? Yeah, I think that exists. And so when a doctor tells you that's not a thing, it doesn't always mean they're gaslighting you. Probably most of the time it does. But it could just mean that they're not educated in the terminology and they're just being very straightforward. We think it's a real thing because technically it's not. And when I say estrogen dominance, there was a doctor out there the other day that kind of came after me for that term. And I said, well, I'm just using that because I'm communicating with my followers who they understand that word. But what if your estrogen is really high and your progesterone is really low and that feels horrible? Oh, okay. I know what you're talking. Okay. Well, I was trying to define it and this doctor didn't like the definition. So I call this the beef stroganoff principle, which came from a friend of mine, Larry Dossie. Doctors talk about beef stroganoff. Sometimes patients talk about beef with noodles, right? It's the same thing. But how we communicate sometimes is what really matters. And I think adrenal fatigue got caught up in the communication aspect and got kind of bashed by the medical community. Well, so that doesn't mean that you couldn't be underproducing certain things your body needs. The same thing with the trickiness of the thyroid hormone and what are your TSH levels versus your T3 and your T4. So many people like myself are hypothyroid and take a medication for that. So it can get really confusing. And sometimes one doctor will tell you, oh, we only want to look at your T3, T4 levels, but we're not going to look at the free T3, T4. So it's a struggle, I think, for all of us. There's a doctor out there right now whose big thing, she just put out a blog because I follow her. There is no such thing as hormone imbalance. Now, I just wrote a 500-page book called The Hormone Balance Bible, so I guess I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about, which maybe, but I think it's fascinating. It gets, and again, it's caught, is that true? Well, there are times in a woman's life when hormone imbalances are normal. Puberty, certain times of the menstrual cycle, pregnancy, menopause, those are all normal imbalances, right? But they suck. I mean, you can feel terrible. Yes. And that's what I ask her. Okay. My response to that is hormone imbalance by your definition may not be a real thing. However, if PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, is not a hormonal imbalance, why do you put them on birth control pills? Why are you treating it with a hormone? It must be a hormone imbalance or you wouldn't be treating it with a hormone. And I kind of don't get a response to that when I ask that question. And again, that is where the doctor is stuck in this etymology or this wording of what I'm saying, yes, there are times when hormone imbalances are normal. Your menstrual cycle is an imbalance. Progesterone's high in the luteal phase, estrogen's high in the follicular phase. But some women that have low progesterone in their, in their luteal phase have PMS, 
we've been treating PMS for decades with progesterone and other things, but I'm just giving it a word. I'm calling it an imbalance. And so you have to understand when doctors get feisty or defensive about stuff like that. Partially, I think it's because they're losing patients to alternative community, but that's their own fault. If you lose patients to other people, whether it's another doctor or an alternative practitioner, that's your fault because you're not giving them what they need, what they want. Well, let's get back to cortisol for this very question, because this has me now thinking about how you even determine what is normal, because they could say, okay, this is a normal range, but you're basing it off of a population study. It may not be an ideal range. So how do we know if our cortisol is out of control and needs to be addressed? Is there a specific test for that or markers that you would ask people to even assess through like something like a simple questionnaire? How would they know if their body's response to stress was out of control? So we're talking about, yes, when you look at labs, we're talking about a scenario where you're not abnormal, so you're still normal. So what I call that is you're in the house, but where are you in the house? Are you laying on the floor in the basement of the house? Are you in the middle of the house? And that makes a difference to me with things like thyroid and whatnot. But with the cortisol issue, a lot of women may fall in the low category. Some may find that in the high normal, low normal category. That could feel miserable, like we mentioned. So the problem there is... Where are you in that range? And so let's just backtrack. Cortisol basically plays a big role in metabolism, stimulates the liver to increase blood sugar, helps convert fats, and it also helps the body convert fats, proteins, and carbs into energy. So it's really your furnace, if you will. It's your flight or fight response and things like that. And they're just these two little kind of pea-sized glands at the top of your kidneys. So they're pretty tiny. And when, when we talk about cortisol, like I talked about high cortisol, abnormal is Cushing syndrome. Low cortisol, abnormal is called Addison's. We're talking about stuff in between. So I would look at how do you test cortisol? Right now, blood is probably not the greatest way to check. You'd have to do cortisol. We want to check cortisol a few times during the day. We don't just all want to do it in the morning, although that would be the generalized test. But you want to get it a certain time of the day. You want to do a, a waking. You want to do mid-morning, mid-afternoon and nighttime. You could go in and have your blood drawn at four separate times, but that's going to be almost impossible for most people. So what we are currently looking at for cortisol testing is urine. And I'm not a huge fan of saliva except for cortisol testing. So I think it's good for cortisol, but I don't use it for others. So then what you get is this cortisol pattern or trend. And it's kind of a a big spike in the morning because you're waking up and you need to motivate, you need to get that engine going. And then you get a drop in the afternoon and then you get an even further drop in the evening because your body's starting to wind down and you don't need as much when you're going to bed. So what we're looking for are those, what I call the slow starters, people that have low cortisol in the morning. You'll sometimes see a little peak in the morning after they get their coffee because coffee can stimulate that cortisol response. Some people are super high all the time or they'll wait. What I love to do is look at their cortisol pattern and try to describe their day. Like, oh man, you're one of those morning people, you wake up and you're ready to go. Or man, you have a hard time getting up in the morning. You know, you can usually tell that by looking at their cortisol levels. So adrenal insufficiency, let's say it's low cortisol. Symptoms can be things from severe fatigue and weakness to weight loss, fainting, dizzy because of blood pressure issues, low blood sugar. Some people, if it's really abnormal, can start getting darkening of the skin. And, And if it's really towards Addison's disease, some of those folks even actually will start taking hydrocortisone or some sort of steroid because that can be a life-threatening issue. So the problem is, though, some people will self-diagnose and they won't test, they'll guess. High and low cortisol, normal, can sometimes 
be the same. Symptoms can be very similar. So I have some people that will say, oh, I'm fatigued all the time. I must have low cortisol or I have high cortisol. And they'll take a supplement that might actually suppress their cortisol function that has licorice or rhodiola or some other adaptogenic herbs, and they could actually make their problem worse. So I always say test, don't guess, especially with cortisol. It's cortisol and thyroid. I wouldn't mess with those two hormones. I wouldn't be uh, like an armchair quarterback with those because those are important hormones and you have to have those two to live and their balance is pretty important. So I would test those before I would do any sort of therapy. Now, speaking as someone who's had my thyroid checked several times, I was diagnosed back in 2009. I have never had my doctors mention cortisol tests to me, not ever. And so I wonder what it takes to do something like get these tests. So let's say you have standard medical insurance, you're going into your HMO or your PPO, and you're seeing your doctor for your annual. What is it that they should be asking that I should even be asking for when I want to get, you know, blood workup done? It really depends on your doctor, because if you go into a regular doctor's office and tell me you want to check cortisol, they're probably going to say no, because they don't know how. I mean, we think of, as a gynecologist, I could probably count on one hand how many times I've worried about getting like a ACTH stimulation test, which is a, a test for cortisol that's kind of the gold standard when you're worried about Addison's disease or Cushing's. And most doctors might order, if you twisted their arm, they might order an AM cortisol just one. If you want a real test, if you want to look at a multiple point test throughout the day, you're probably looking at getting your own testing done. Now, you can get a salivary test on Amazon. I think they're 80 bucks, give or take. It's usually like a 24-hour saliva adrenal test is what it's called. It comes with a DHEA and a cortisol level and it's you spit in these little containers and you send the test off and they give you the result. You could go to an integrative functional lifestyle medicine person that might do Dutch testing or dried urine testing. There's a couple of companies out there. Usually that's not just for cortisol. It will give you cortisol, but they'll also check for all your sex hormones. And some of the dry testing actually does thyroid. Some does melatonin and vitamins and organic acids, things like that. So you can actually get a lot of information, but those tests can run 400 bucks. So they can be a little expensive. And I don't usually recommend doing that. When I had somebody come to me that's kind of just feeling miserable, I'll usually just check everything but cortisol first. If I can get them feeling great with regular hormones, progesterone, estrogen, testosterone, thyroid, then I don't worry about their cortisol because cortisol to me is probably one of the last things to go out. That's what's keeping you going. So if the thyroid's burned, if your testosterone's in the toilet, you're menopausal and you're not on hormones and you're just fried, that's when your cortisol is going to start getting worn out. But before that, if I can fix all the other stuff and then your adrenal glands don't have to work as hard to keep you going and I give you all the other stuff back, usually I think that comes back around and usually the the adrenals will kind of fix themselves. But if I have that woman who I just can't quite get her there, like I've got her pretty well balanced and she's still suffering, then I'll say, let's do a cortisol test because I just don't want her to have to spend the money if she doesn't want to. Now, I have some patients that will come in and they'll say they want to and that's and then we'll do it. So it's really driven by them. But most people, I can probably say 90%, I can probably get them better without doing cortisol. Well, it's so interesting to me too, because as we talk about this, like if somebody is seeing their health go from bad to worse quickly and they don't address their stress and they just keep kind of going and going and using their willpower to just go from one day to the next. If it's that last line of defense in a way and your cortisol levels are way off, then it could be kind of the canary in the coal mine at that point, right? So some women, I had a lady come in that she was like 38, pharmaceutical rep, 
drives a lot. She probably drives 150 miles a day in her car. She's got three boys under the age of seven. Husband's really busy, so she tends to do most of the stuff, you know, taking care of the kids, cooking. She eats poorly because she's a rep and she's bringing lunches to people and she's sitting there. And so I, in my book, I have it broken down. The archetype for low cortisol I call the saboteur. And it's because you've sabotaged your own health at the expense of taking care of everything else, everybody else. And that tends to be more common in women, I think. I started telling her this, like, okay, you're taking care of your job. You're going home, you got these three boys. You're taking care of them. You're taking care of your husband. He's probably wanting sex at the middle in the night when you're just like totally wiped out. And you feel bad because you don't want to have sex with him. And you just feel like you're not yourself. And she just started crying. And she said, you know, it's the first time anybody's ever just told me that. And it's exactly what I'm... So in her case, she's probably low cortisol. She's probably burned out. My guess is, the way I look at this, it's a transition from the workaholic, which is what I call the high cortisol, to the saboteur. You go through the workaholic phase first. You're burning not only the candle at both ends, you're burning it with a blowtorch. When you finally get to the point where your body just can't do it anymore, you crash and that's the saboteur. However, workaholics, they're not as fatigued usually because they're usually using other things. They're using tons of coffee. They're drinking Red Bulls. They're, you know, whatever it is they got to do. Some of them are probably using substances like how many people nowadays are on Adderall that don't have ADHD. Somebody told them they do, but they don't. And they can't function if they're not on their ADD meds because they feel... They drop, they slide back, they can't perform. But that medication is putting them into a hypercortisolic state. But underneath that, they're probably a saboteur. They're probably low cortisol. So once they stop that medication, they crash and burn. And it might seem that it came on all of a sudden, but it's really been underneath. I can't tell you how many people I have come in that are on dextro, amphetamines, Adderall, Vyvanse, those medications that are basically turning you into a stressed out puppet when the reality is, you're probably fried underneath. And it's like the medication just keeps you going, but it's fake, it's false, it's not real. Yeah, it's almost like you're a puppet being held up by them. Now, I just have to say something to you as we're on this podcast. Obviously, that woman started crying because she felt seen for the first time in a long time. And I have to say, when I hear you talk about how we respond to stress, I start to picture myself in these different hormone types. And when you talk about somebody who's driven, who... Okay. That's what I call workaholic, right? <laughs> Driven. Yeah. I'm probably guilty there. And I will notice, for instance, when I've gone through periods where I'm just not getting enough sleep for a long stretch of time, and I'm talking, you know, I might be getting four or five hours a night for a week or so at a time. And when I'm in those stretches, I have all the symptoms of ADHD because I'm overtired and my brain just can't keep on the same track. And I'm kind of a little bit scattered around and I'm trying to be just as effective. So guess what? You go to the coffee, you pick up another cup, you keep the priming the pumps to keep going and going and going. But there are those moments that then I, I just have to step back and go, okay, well, here's what I did wrong. I'm not addressing that I'm not getting to sleep at night. So yeah, I was up too late because I just needed mommy time. Put the boys to bed. They didn't go to bed till nine. And I'm now finally getting some alone time and I watch some stupid TV show to let the brain kind of go for a while. But then... I've just watched TV right before bed and I'm having a harder time shutting off the brain and there's all that exposure to the blue light while watching the TV and I'm checking my phone in bed, which I know I shouldn't do. And then guess what? It's taking me too long to fall to sleep. I'm getting the busy brain taking over and I haven't relaxed into the night. And so then I've created a lifestyle of problems where 
I'm basically creating a stress situation. I'm creating a situation where my cortisol is going to fall out of whack and where I'm not going to be supported. It's a no-brainer. There's so many things that you've said that make sense. Like just to pay attention to how you're living right then, address it, pull back a little bit, and then you can live a healthier existence that's, that's got a more manageable level of stress in it. Well, I think people tend to also think when you talk about lowering your stress, it's kind of like catchphrase, you know, like, oh, you need to meditate. Well, great. Thanks for helping. But some people can't put that, they can't fit that in or they don't want to. And lowering stress is not easy for a lot of people because it's just how they live their lives. And some people enjoy it. I think they like the stress. They like the challenge. I think you wouldn't be a high achiever like you are if you didn't enjoy it to a certain degree. You're an adrenaline junkie and that's what cortisol and norepinephrine and those things come from the adrenal glands. It's it's part of the rush. And I think some people would fear that downtime. They feel like a failure. And so there's a lot of work in there. There's a lot of psychological stuff too. And some of that might have to be therapy. You see a lot of people now, for better or worse, using things like ayahuasca and ketamine. And I think those drugs, those plants are ways for the overachievers to try and fit because they are overachievers. They don't want to take the short route. They want to take the rocket ship to get there. So, or they want to take the long road. And so, Yes, they will get you there, but you still got to do the work because you can take the rocket ship. But I always use this example, and this is in a lot of Greek mythology. When you go into a labyrinth and you get to the middle and you find the treasure, that's not the end of the journey. The end of the journey is you got to come back out. You got to come back out and you've got to share what you found with people, with your life. And so you can get the rocket ship to the center of the labyrinth where some might walk. But if you don't do the work, if you don't do the therapy, the integration to get out, you're going to just be the same person. You just had this really cool trip. And there are a lot of supplements and a lot of things you can use to support your adrenal glands that are different than taking the rocket ship. But And those are more achievable, I think, if while you're doing the work. So why don't we stop there for a moment and talk about the things that can support you on that journey while you're doing the work. And what supplements do you like to turn to in these cases or what nutrition sources? Well, a lot of first I would put them into two categories like vitamins and minerals and then adaptogenic herbs and, and other plant or other compounds. Basically the big mineral support is going to be things like your vitamin Bs, especially B5, vitamin C and E, calcium, magnesium, and things like zinc and selenium, iodine. Basically, those are going to help with secretion of cortisol. The vitamin Bs can kind of help kind of calm the nervous system. And then the vitamins, the Bs and Cs help neutralize their antioxidants. They help neutralize damage to the adrenal glands and free radicals. They can help normalize levels and things like magnesium, magnesium, magnesium. You hear about that all the time, but that's a very cellular process that helps with energy production and it promotes relaxation and sleep. As far as like the adaptogenic herbs and other compounds, obviously the big support for hormone production is going to be your omega-3s and your omega fatty acids, which you obviously know much more about than I do, but that's a very big piece of the pie. Most of the time, people that have cortisol issues don't eat very well. And so they're probably not getting much. They're probably heavily dominant in omega-6 and not omega-3. But the other adaptogenic herbs, things like mushrooms, and I mean like the medicinal mushrooms like cordyceps, reishi, viola, which is a plant that reduces fatigue and brain fog, passion flower for people that aren't sleeping very well, it eases and helps calm stress, phosphatidylserine, which 
I believe omegas help with as well. But a phosphatidylserine helps block harmful effects of cortisol in the body. And then things like eulithro and astragalus are really good as well. So going to the Chinese and Ayurvedic herbs that help to handle the adaptogens, essentially, is what it sounds like. So rhodiola is also really well used for anybody going into high altitudes. It's very helpful. Same thing with eleuthero or Siberian ginseng, as it's often called. Because high altitudes cause you to not be able to breathe, and that's very stressful. So, yeah. Climbing, my older sister lives at about 10,000 feet elevation, so really high up there in the Colorado mountains. And then my dad bought a cabin across the street, right? So he could be close to all the grandkids and everything. And the cabin is up the steep driveway. And just doing that short walk, everybody who's new to the area will get winded really fast. Yeah, that's why their blood counts are so much higher because... They adapt. Your body makes more blood cells to carry the oxygen. That's why people in they live in, say, Cusco, which is like 13,000 feet. They chew cocoa leaves or they will give you cocoa leaves to chew when you go to Peru because it's a stimulant and it helps your blood flow faster so you're oxygenated. A lot of cool things that, that people have discovered evolutionarily and your bodies adapt. Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much for that. And yes, of course, since Orlo is the presenter of this show, you can find out more about omega-3s that are in the polar lipid form and highly observable at orlonutrition.com. Listeners of this show get an extra 20, well, not an extra, but get 20% off at checkout with the code NWC. I was like an extra 20, I'll be getting a case. No kidding, right? <laughs> that would be a little bit much for us to manage, but get 20% off with NWC 20 and, or you can subscribe and save 15% every day. So that's at orlanutrition.com. Now, I wanted to, for a moment, take this journey into the method that you've designed, the Shines Method, offer you the opportunity to talk about it, and then also what people can expect when they do pick up your book. Because as a 500-page tome, I think it deserves the name Bible, but (laughs) can really help people manage their hormonal health. And that does, of course, involve cortisol and stress responses too. I mean, the reason that I came up with the book in the first place was because of that lady I described. So the the woman, what I would talk about, I, I didn't feel at times like I was connecting, you know, like I could say, oh, well, let's talk about cortisol or your testosterone's low. It just sounded very sterile. And what I found was at the time, years and years ago, I was reading a lot of Caroline Mace and Sally Hogshead, Jung, they all talk about archetypes. And archetypes are just stories, right? And who doesn't like a good story? Who, who can't connect to a really good story? What I did was I took the hormones, I looked at estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, thyroid, cortisol, and I looked at high and low, and then I made a couple of blended ones too, and I came up with these 12 archetypes or stories. So like low testosterone is the nun, high cortisol, the workaholic, low cortisol, saboteur. And each of these stories I would put in the book. And then I also came up with a six-step process called the Shines Protocol, which you got to have a really cool acronym if you have a book. That's like the rule. So it stands for Spiritual Practice, hormonal modulation, infaceuticals, which is kind of just like the energetic information that your body gets, nutrition, exercise, and supplementation. So each of these 12 archetypes has its own shines protocol. And that's why the book is so long because each of the, I had to describe each of the archetypes and then the shines protocol for each of the archetypes. 
And so it's not necessarily a book to be read from front to back. The beautiful thing about it is you can get your archetype by either getting your blood tested, which would be ideal. But I also wanted people that are surfing the internet at midnight to be able to take a quiz. And I know everybody has a quiz. Everybody's like five to 10 questions. I have a 38 question quiz that on the back end is weighted because the way you answer the questions, not me at all, totally me and various in-betweens, I have it mathematically weighted on the back end. You will get your archetype based on your score of how you answered those questions. And it's w.tassonemd.com backslash quiz. It's free. It's just a starting point and it could change, but I can't tell you. I've had people like I had a lady email me the other day. I wanted to let you know your quiz is wrong. And I was like, well, I it's a quiz. It's not magic. But And she said, it said that I was hyperthyroid, which would be overachiever when I'm actually hypothyroid, which is the underdog. And I said, well, are you taking meds? And she said, yes. And I said, when was the last time you had your thyroid checked? And she said, it's been like nine months. And she emailed me back like three weeks later and said, oh, I had my labs checked and I'm actually hyperthyroid. So, because she was taking too much. And so, not saying my quiz, but it's just how you answer the questions. And so, if you're honest with how you're answering them, you'll get an answer that describes you. And so when I also say spiritual practices, that could mean anything from yoga to journaling to going outside. I mean, there's different things. It doesn't mean it's like religious. It's just different spiritual practices. Like for the nun, which is low testosterone, nuns, it becomes a problem when you're a nun because nuns don't ever want to leave the house because they have no motivation, no energy, and they just stay in the house. Cloistered nuns, which are nuns that never leave their monastery. How do you get to a nun? You go outside, you go hang out with your friends, even though you don't want to break that pattern of cloistering, get outside. That's a spiritual practice for you. Just going out on a girl's night or going out with your kids or your family to a movie, that's breaking that cycle. So that would be a spiritual practice. So hormones, obviously, those are easy. Estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, bioidentical, DHEA, sometimes vitamin D and others. Infoceuticals can be things like acupuncture, essential oils, nutrition is pretty self-explanatory, exercise the same. And then supplements are huge. People spend money on supplements all the time, but are you using the right things? And so that's the premise of the book. Now, I know on your podcast, you recommend four specific supplements for just about everybody. And I think the interesting thing I see as a common thread between all of them is that they help to manage things like stress, sleep, and hormones. All three of these things seem to be intertwined and connected in a way that's difficult to tease out. One of them is maca. Another is, of course, the omega-3s. And then I believe it's, it's the magnesium and you have specific forms you recommend and then I'm forgetting what the fourth is. So please help me round this out and we'll be sure to include this with show notes. Oh, I just had them in my head. Maca magnesium. Oh, vitamin D. Yes. Vitamin D for obvious reasons. Vitamin D is important for tons of things. The problem is I would say 95% of the women that I test are deficient. And when I say deficient, again, normal. So if normal is 30 to 100, most people are coming in around 32, 35. I want to see it up around 60 to 80. Now, there are a couple of times I'll find people are taking too much. And vitamin D, you got to be careful because it's fat soluble. So you'll store it and you can actually overdose on it. Magnesium is probably the most underrated essential element that we have. And you can also overdose on magnesium, but you'd have to take a lot. Magnesium is comes in different forms. I tend to use magnesium glycinate just because it gives you a lot of the beneficial effects without a lot of the side effects like diarrhea. Some people, if they take magnesium oxide or other forms, they can get diarrhea. 
which is fine if you're constipated because it'll loosen your stools. Mag-3 and 8 is really good for people that are having sleeping issues because it crosses easier the blood-brain barrier. But all magnesiums will help with sleep. It's kind of interesting because we don't know the exact mechanism of action as to why it works, but it does work and it helps just kind of bring... I kind of look at maca as if the hormones are the tiles on the wall in the bathroom, the maca is the grouch. It really fills in the gaps where some women might normally say, oh, I'm, my hot flashes are better. I'm just not quite sleeping all the way or I'm still having one or two hot flashes here or there and I don't really want to increase their estrogen. Oh, maca is a great, that's where it helps. And then the omega-3s, we, we make our hormones from omega fats. And that's where they come for cholesterol. And unfortunately, I'm hoping this is going away that fear of cholesterol in our culture. But I remember my dad's friend, gosh, I must have been seven or eight at the time, had a massive heart attack. And he was young. He was in his 40s. And the doctors were telling him at the time, no butter, no eggs, you know, the whole nine yards. But go ahead and eat margarine because that was when margarine was big, which now is the worst thing they could have told him to do. But cholesterol isn't the culprit. It's inflammation. And so... Yeah, if you have a lot of inflammation in your body and you're eating a lot of horrible cholesterol, it could be bad. But things like I wouldn't eat a stick of butter like some other influencers do, but then you shouldn't also be afraid of it. The problem is, are we getting a good quality omega or are we eating rancid fats? Are we cooking inappropriately and heating them and, and then they go rancid when we eat them? You can cook with olive oil, but if you scorch it, it's not really good for you. I think one of the books out there that really changed my view on certain things was Fats That Heal, Fats That Kill by Udo Erasmus that shows the canola industry and really exposes how they, even though you think canola is good for you, that it's not. And they put bleach in it to clean it and then they got to take the bleach out. And it's just really crazy how things are made. And that's why I really gravitate towards a company like yours that as I was looking for sustainability and whatnot for my patients, because I started feeling a little guilty about the fish part. It's like, are they getting over harvested? And then is it rancid? Because people will go to a, a big box chain and they'll buy this gallon jug of omega-3 capsules that have probably been there for six months and then they sit in their house for two years before they even try them. And so I wanted, because that's the thing too with supplements is sometimes you got to pay extra for quality and the cheaper doesn't always mean better. Well, there's one through line I would draw to that because I've spent as long as I have working in the omega-3 space. Just to comment on rancid oils, because I mean, especially as we're working to clean up our kitchen routines, let's say you aren't cooking as much with those oils. They're sitting in your cabinet for a little longer and you don't necessarily know that they've gone rancid on the shelf in your pantry. So you can check it. And it's, there's a very simple way. I would say typically you could just smell it and tell, but some people aren't able to really do that. So what I would say is just run it through your fingers, like just rub your fingers back and forth together. And if it's really slippery, then it's probably fine. But if you go to separate your fingers and it feels almost like you stuck glue on your fingers, like it's sticky, that is an indication of a rancid fat. And you just don't want to consume rancid fats. The oils and and visual capsules that are sold en masse in bulk and just shoved into a, the biggest container they can find, sold at Costco. I happen to know a lot about sourcing in that space. And let's just say I would not consume that. If you are taking things into your body that are rancid or that are inferior when it comes to this particular space, you could be doing more harm than good. So you invest in something that you know to be health promoting, that you know that you'll absorb, you can get the benefit from it. You don't need to necessarily take as much as is being 
told to you because you're getting a, a fresher, more absorbable product. Well, I had a lot of patients that would complain about the burping. And for a long time, I was having them use a product that either had lavender or lemon. And you just you just burp lavender instead. <laughs> It's like, but then that's another reason why I liked your product because you don't get that. And so, you know, here's the thing. I can tell people to take it and it'll help. But if they're not going to take it because of a side effect, then it doesn't do them any good. Yeah, the most expensive supplement is either the one that you don't take or the one that you don't absorb. And so it ends up being expensive excrement. <laughs> Sadly, the case, you know, spending 2 or $3 per day on something. And we really work to keep things affordable here at Orlo. I always joke about vitamin B because not only does it make your <laughs> urine glow in the dark, but people always say, well, is it helping? And I'm like, it's probably just expensive pee, really. But, but yeah, it's... In our culture, we really do have enough food, you know, and it's just, do we eat the right food? But we probably don't need half the supplements, but there are some that I think are super important in those for women and for guys, because there are macas for guys and magnesium, you know, omegas, obviously, and vitamin D. So I think even for men, they're the same four. The one more thing I want to mention on magnesium, because I'm a big fan of it as well, is that if you just want to understand it from a physiologic perspective, magnesium helps your muscles relax, calcium helps them to actually contract. And so there are these two polar opposites that you need to have in balance in your system. We tend to get a lot of fortified calcium in our diets, but I don't know a single food that is fortified with magnesium. So you need to consider that from an outside source. And I also am fond of just taking the standard magnesium that might create a little bit of a diarrhea situation if somebody had too much of it. But I'll use it just a little bit before bed in a beverage. Like I'll make myself chamomile tea and I find that I sleep really soundly. I don't get muscle cramping in my legs or anything like that. And more soundly when I do that. And it's like literally like a light switch. <laughs> so I appreciate that about it so much. Listen, I just want to say how much I appreciate your time today. I would love to do something a little bit different today. I know that you have your beautiful book out and I want to be able to do a simple giveaway to our listeners. So if anybody goes out ahead and just emails hello at orlonutrition.com, we're going to be selecting one person to receive a free copy of Dr. Sean Tasson's book, The Hormone Balance Bible, and also a kit of Orlo's Omega-3s with the Immunity Boost. And so I want to inspire our listeners to reach out. Hello at orlonutrition.com. Tell us what you loved about the episode, and maybe even if there was something you didn't, questions you have, whatever it is, but just send that email and you will be added to the list to win this. So thank you so much. Now, I just want to say one thing. I have a, I got a shirt from you from Orlo because I liked your logo. So you're kind enough to send me some shirts. There was one in the box that was a triple XL. And so I decided to wear it as a pair of pajamas the other day. And my 18 year old has said, what in the heck are you wearing? And I said, I said, it's just a, I'm just being silly, but he said, can I have one? So now I have to give him one of my shirts. Well, I'll have to throw one of those into the bin too. So you'll get an Orlo shirt. Give him a shirt. That's right. Yeah. It's made of organic cotton and it's actually cut printed stitched here in California. And it also is printed with algae based ink. So we're not using petrochemicals and it's super soft. I love that shirt too. So we'll do a giveaway. Why not? Again, thank you so much, Dr. Tasson. This has been just awesome. Thank you. 
I will be sure to include links to where you can learn more about Dr. Sean Tasson with show notes, including that hormonal type quiz and his podcast, Confessions of a Male Gynecologist. I will also include a direct link to order a copy of his book and a reminder to all of you to send me an email to hello at orlonutrition.com that will enter you to win this kit that we're going to give out, including Dr. Sean Tasson's book, a t-shirt, the size of your choice, of course, and a kit of Orlo Nutrition products. Visit orlonutrition.com today in order to see our complete blog, including features that you won't see anywhere else. If you have questions or other things you'd like to share, please reach out to us via social channels at Orlo Nutrition. And as I mentioned before, you can always email us directly to hello at orlonutrition.com. As we close today's show, I have two reminders. One is if you can't wait for those omegas and you'd like to place your order, you can come to orlonutrition.com and use that coupon code NWC20 for 20% off of Orlo Nutrition products. And a simple ask. I hope that you'll raise a cup of your favorite beverage with me as I say my closing words. Here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either or.